This is the Rubin Report, and I'm once again Dave Rubin. Here's a friendly reminder to subscribe to our channel by clicking that pesky bell and turning on notifications so that you might just might see our videos. And more importantly, joining me today are two Swedish podcast superstars and free speech activists in no order, Aaron Flam and Henrik Johnson. Welcome to the Rubin Report. Thank you for having us. I am glad to have you guys. We have sat down before. Yes, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Before I do anything else, did I give proper Swedish pronunciation of the names there? That could, that was a very American version of both ten of out of ten. Names, right? Yeah, uh, I'm fine with however you say my name. Hen- I said Henrik Jönsson. Right. Jönsson. So I purposely did that. So I said. Yes. So if you were saying Aaron Flam in perfect Swedish, how would you say it? Aaron Flam. Okay, there we go. And I said Henrik Johnson, but I knew it was a little more off with you. Yeah, Henrik Jönsson. That's the way you say it in Henrik Swedish. Henrik Jönsson. Jönsson. But you know, I lived in London for 10 years, so I almost changed my name to Jönsson because the nightmare of explaining this bizarre pronunciation just... And also yeah, yeah. the O with two dots on top of it. It's There's not... the O with the two dots, and I knew that the J was really a Y in our world, but I wanted you to say it first, so it sounded a little, a little <laughs> smoother. Anyway. I'm thrilled to have you guys here. Uh, I'll preface all of this by saying uh, something that I told you guys earlier in the week when I did both of your podcasts, which is that bizarrely, almost impossibly, our fifth most watched country for this show, The Rubin Report, is Sweden. So it's the United States first, and then usually Canada and the UK battle out two and three, and then Australia is four, and then Sweden. Even though we only have 10 million people. I have half the population of Sweden in this room right now. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and somehow, whatever it is that we're talking about here, uh, related to free speech and the rest of it, has really hit a nerve in Sweden. I also think it's partly because I had you on, and that, that show really just exploded. I've since done a couple shows in, uh, in Sweden with Jordan Peterson. Uh, so before we do anything else, and, and I'll go to you first, just tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about yourself. and what you do and all that good stuff, and then we'll recap with you, and then we'll take it from there. Well, my background, I'm really a businessman. I'm an IT, uh, IT entrepreneur. I built a number of companies over the years. But about two years ago, I recorded a small YouTube video, well, actually a Facebook video on my phone, where I, out of spite, I was irritated with the journalistics, journalist establishment's incapacity of correctly describing the difference between dividends and a profit in a private company, because we had this big debate about how we didn't want commercial companies in the healthcare sector. Mm-hmm. So I, rec- I made a video where I said, okay, listen guys, if you wanna talk about this, you need to understand the difference between those two different things. And I, I'm gonna tell you all. So I posted it on Facebook, morning after I woke up, my mailbox was overflowing, <laughs> and I had so many people just going, wow, you're so good at explaining this stuff, nobody ever talks about this. And then I started making videos, now I run the largest politically minded YouTube channel in Sweden. Should I ask what level of hate you got just by putting out a video about dividends and, and <laughs> health insurance and, and the market? Well, you know, that was a sort of neutral video because it was on taxation, but let's put it this taxation way. Taxation often is not neutral, at least in this country. Uh, oh, it's... maybe it's a little more neutral for you guys because you've been numbed into it or something like that. Well, taxation is like air for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but did you get a lot of hate or you, I guess you didn't? Uh, initially, very little. Uh, because the situation we have back home is like, the left does not follow people like me. Because I'm, you know, I have a business background, they think, well, he's a capitalist pig, so yeah. let's not listen to this guy. Yeah. But as my channel grew, and, and now I have about 600,000 people a month uh, watching my videos, 
which is more than most of the national newspapers have. So then I become a problem. So now I'm getting quite a bit of flack. Uh, just, you know, just being on your show is probably going to push a few people's buttons. We're going to quadruple your flack by the end of today. <laughs> uh, Aaron, I, obviously I know a little more about your story, but for the people that did not see our first interview. Well, as uh, they should know because they should have watched every episode I of your show. most of them have. I'm a Swedish comedian. And then after a while I realized I can't do my jokes anymore, my beautifully constructed child pornography jokes, and then <laughs> I had to, uh, well, we don't exactly have free speech in Sweden, we got it in 94 from the EU, and that's sort of, eh, but uh, I, I, I would like to have some in Sweden. So yeah. I've been working at that since last we met, and since we met last I've uh, been doing very little comedy, although I have done some comedy. Yeah, because you, you I still did some stand-up in LA just a couple of days ago. Yes, at the LA Improv, and it went quite well. They loved my abortion jokes, uh, and uh, so and then uh, since last we met, because I at the point when we met, I wanted to find like the root cause of the craziness that is going on in the Western world right now, and. Uh, You've written a book about it, yeah. and uh, I just finished and published my book about it, unfortunately in Swedish, but I'll get you an English version. I want the English version because yes. not only do I not speak Swedish, but your book, I, oh, I sh we should have had it on the table here, I'll have my guys grab it. Um, it's about how many pages? Almost 500 pages, right? And this thing is dense. I mean, you could, if you whacked somebody with this thing, it's like a brick. You could yes, I want, take out I, a I, I want everything I do to be able to be used in multiple ways. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's uh, called This is a Swedish Tiger, and basically it's uh, I, I got proof that uh, the socialists and the Islamists has have pretty much been working together since the end of World War two and that the socialists didn't turn in 43 but they were on Hitler's side until the end and uh, after the war they sort of swept that under the carpet found alliances because the Islamists or what turned morphed into the Islamists uh, were on Hitler's side as well, and they continued that alliance, and uh, I think we're seeing the end point of that cooperation now. So it's a comedy? Uh, well, it's a very dark <laughs> comedy. It's, it's a, yeah. yeah, exactly, like almost everything these days. So uh, you start doing video, pod, did you start doing video first? Video or? right All away. All on video. Yeah. Um, so you start doing the video, and just by talking about these things, my sense from what's going on in Sweden is that there's just a lot of people due to cultural reasons that hopefully you guys can explain, just don't really say what they're thinking enough. Yes. And then it makes guys like you very unique. A, a comedian, it's one thing to be doing it, but a guy from a business background, were you shocked? Yes, yes was I was. Yeah. Listen, I think part of the reason that your show is popular in Sweden is our nation is like the canary in the coal mine. And people are like so penned up because we have a highly, like a fiercely egalitarian culture. It's very conformist. So it's incredibly threatening to break the mold, but there is this pent up need of, you know, seriously engaging in open conversation about a lot of issues that are, well, they put the lid on those. And I think that that's what you were picking up on w when you went there. Yeah. And I think that is why once, once I started making my videos, it, it, it just exploded because there were so many people, wow, how do you do it? you know, say these things. What, what were the first couple type of things that you were talking about? Well, here's where Aaron and I kind of connect, because I wanted to debunk the idea that the social democratic rule, which has been running Sweden for the better part of the last hundred years, they took credit for the financial miracle that we had. You know, basically, Sweden rose from 
a rather poor agrarian economy into like the per capita wealthiest country on earth yeah. over a couple of decades. But that was mainly due, and if you ask economists, they will know this, but nobody speaks about it. The reason that happened was because we did not take a stand against the Nazis in the war. So we actually sold them iron ore and granite. And after the war, we were also the only intact manufacturing, industrialized manufacturing nation in Europe. So we exported everything to everyone. And that's how we became rich. So, so you were acting like capitalists sort of on the DL, on the down low, but in effect. I'd say, no, that's the, the worst brand of crony capitalism, yeah, uh, I, I would say. Yeah. Um, what, what about you? When, so you were doing stand-up first, but what were the issues first that you were talking about that you realized shouldn't be talked about? Uh, well, or, or that people no, didn't I, want you I, to talk I, as a comedian, I know what cultural taboos uh, we have. So I just made a list and uh, you know started doing jokes on every cultural taboo because that was my job. So I went through you know the usual shock thing. You can always do a pedophilia joke because you know or a fisting joke. It's funny, <laughs> uh, uh, but. Uh, then I started drugs, Aaron, uh, marijuana. This is, this is I, a family show. Yeah, yes. So, and then I went to marijuana, and the, but when I, I've, I've never experienced as much hate as when I started my campaign to crush socialism, mm -hmm. uh, because in their minds that's just the most taboo thing you could ever say. That's the entire system. You're, you know, you're basically shitting where you eat. Mm. So when you say you don't have free speech in Sweden. What does that actually mean? As a well, w you are free to say whatever you want as long as no one takes offense or gets insulted. Because what's going to happen if someone takes offense or gets insulted? Because we're now, we're, we because seem to be importing then, this idea Yes, now. because then their feelings are hurt. And if you want to have a, a socialist welfare state, everyone has to be like cogs in the wheel. So that's why you need conformism and collectivism and a culture of silence. Uh, and that is why they get so annoyed when he speaks out, because he's breaking the culture of silence. And cultures of silence are about maintaining the real. Because as long as everyone has the same lie, then that's reality. But if someone says, wait a minute, uh, this might not be exactly the case. Like, for instance, Henrik got burglarized in Malmö, where he lives. Uh, I don't know if he told you that story. Yeah, so I, I do want to talk about that. Yeah, actually. so, uh, uh, and then uh, when he talks about that, he breaks the culture of silence, that Sweden is peaceful, uh, it is ordered, everything works, mm. uh, no one needs a, a gun for self-defense because the police will, or the state will take care of everything. And, uh, and remarkably enough, uh, that's the reason why my book, by the way, is called This is a Swedish Tiger. Because tiger in Swedish means both the apex predator and shut up. Huh. So during the Second World War, there was a campaign in Sweden launched by the government that said, be a Swedish tiger, which means be silent but deadly. It's a very clever and very Orwellian campaign. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that is extremely Orwellian. Looking for the best sleep of your life? Try the new Bowl and Branch bedding. Their 100% organic cotton embroidered sheets will inspire you to get into bed earlier and earlier every night. Really, they are as light as a cloud and the softest, most comfortable sheets in the world and the only bedding loved by three US presidents from both sides of the aisle. <laughs> 
Bolin Branch is a company that cares about the environment with products made from 100% sustainable raw materials without the use of harmful chemicals, pesticides, or GMOs. And for a limited time, you can get their luxury flannel bedding to keep you cool sleepers warm and because they breathe, keep you warm sleepers cool. Shipping is always free. You can try them out for 30 nights risk-free. And right now you get $50 off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com with promo code Ruben. Get $50 off at bowlandbranch.com, promo code Ruben. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com, code Ruben. I'd like to add two things what you just said. I mean, formally, you're allowed to say anything you want in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. But the consequences of doing so can be very, very severe. Um, people will hate you and they will sometimes go after who your employer, uh, they will try to make it impossible for you to work. Um, so it is a, a culture of silence, and it's it's very aggressive. But we never speak of it. The other thing, <laughs> which is what a culture of silence is, <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't mention the culture of silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but was it necessary there? Also, we are doing this. So, you know. But the second thing that I think is important to mention there is like, like the establishment media of Sweden, in sort of the you know the news organizations and so forth. They have been losing a lot of their revenue to you know the digital tech giants like Google and Facebook and so forth and very unhappy about that so they've been pushing the government to intervene with what they're doing under the guise of well you know it's promoting extremism or whatever people are writing nasty things on on Facebook yeah. and they pushed it all the way to the top government so the minister of justice actually had a meeting with Google and Facebook this is you can read this in the papers i can send you links for this where he actually told them, well, of course there's freedom of speech, and it's great that you're private companies, and private companies make their own decisions. Is that sort of putting like a virtual yeah, yeah, gun yeah, against yeah. their back? You're private but, for but now. But we, we think you should clean up some of the stuff on your platforms. Otherwise, we might have to move forward with regulation. Now, I wouldn't want to be, you know, the president of Facebook Sweden having to answer to an American CEO, you know, tell them that I'm the guy that made them regulate our company. Mm -hmm. So. So what type of slurs have been thrown at you guys? Because that seems to be what it's boiled down to. You haven't been dragged off to jail, right? So when we talk about free speech, it's not, they haven't jailed you yet. But what type of slurs are they throwing at you to make sure that it perhaps hampers some of your businesses or hampers your ability to perform at clubs or Well, whatever? five or six days ago, they called us whores. Venmo whores. Venmo whores. Venmo so. whores. Who's they in this case? Well, that would be, this is, this was actually a text written by a, a rather famous establishment journalist in one of the biggest national papers. Right. Uh, who uh, had a big issue. Um, so in effect, he works for a state-run paper, but because you no, 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 no. He, Here's he, the thing. Yeah. So they call they call these papers and media outlets free media. Right. But they are they're all on the take. Uh, as you would call it, or subsidized, as we would call it. This guy yeah. was actually on Swedish radio, so I have the recording downloaded where he... Yeah, that, that's state radio, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so, yeah. so but in that effect, though, yeah. someone on state radio, mm. so in a, he's funded by the state to get yes. his message out there, called you guys independent people, putting stuff up on YouTube. And he likened us to prostitutes. You guys are Venmo. This is, the, yeah. this is grifter. 
right? This is the one that gets thrown at us in America all the time. Right. If you try to, you know, it's like if I was grifting, I would be doing the other thing, right? What would be, right. The, if we were grifters, what would be the easiest thing to do? Work for NPR? Yeah, well, exactly, yes. work for NPR, <laughs> buy into socialism, buy into yeah. intersectionality. And that's what, what they want grip. from you. Hmm. Yeah. They want to turn you into us. Yeah. That, As that I is, told okay. you last time, we want you to assimilate. Okay, so that's exactly where I wanted to go with this, because uh, if you listen to our uh, socialist Democrats or democratic socialists or whatever the hell they are these days, uh, I keep saying they're gonna drop the Democrat part soon enough. What they always say is, we should be more like Sweden. AOC says this, Bernie says this. I doubt that AOC has ever been to Sweden. Mm. Perhaps Bernie has been to Sweden. But they say the Nordic countries usually, but it's specifically we should be more like Sweden. Now you guys have 10 million people, we have 350 million people, we have people from every walk of life, from every corner of the earth. You guys mainly were a homogenous society into the last couple of years. There's all sorts of reasons that that analogy doesn't quite make sense. But when you hear that, America should be more like Sweden. What, what is that? Nothing pushes my buttons <laughs> than when I hear stuff like that. You know, and this comes out of the mouth of what Bernie Sanders or, or Elizabeth Warren. Let, let's clear this up once and for all. Sweden was never a socialist country in the sense that the Eastern Bloc was, you know, Soviet Union and so forth. When Sweden became wealthy, this was during the, the last part of the 1800s, we had a bunch of laissez-faire reforms done. And so we, that's when we started the transformation to industrialize. We were actually quite late to the game. It was these, you know, market, free market reforms. That, so when you got the government out, laissez-faire, yes. suddenly the economy starts booming, okay? Johan August Grippenstedt is the name of the guy that was very forward-thinking, uh, that, that made these reforms possible. Uh, and then things started getting better, better after that. The other thing you need to remember is that when, when we started getting all that money funneling into the country after the end of World War II, and the Social Democrats were all like, look at us, how good socialism is working. Yes. And it had nothing to do with them. In fact, their policies, big government policies, um, wasted all that money. And you know, in the 1990s, we actually had to devaluate our currency against the 30% of everything was lost because of the, the welfare state they built up. So if you hear Bernie Sanders or, or Warren say stuff like, we need to be more like Sweden, well, the, the part they're missing is that what was good about Sweden was free market oriented. What was bad about Sweden, we, we turned out into a decent country in spite of socialism, not because of. Can, can you add to that? Uh, that I can confirm that, is, that is true and you can look it up, it's factual. Yes. Yeah. So when you guys hear that, and doing what you are doing, I mean, as you, it just makes your head spin, sort of feel like you're gonna smack somebody. Well, I love my job, yeah. I really do. Um, because uh, I get to uh, piss people off, and I believe what Larry David once said, that if you have the opportunity to annoy someone, you should take it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you are doing that. Yeah, you're doing just fine then. But do you think part of the issue here is that the exterior of Sweden looks a certain way? So for example, uh, I had two trips to Sweden, to Stockholm, and I was only in Stockholm, so what I'm, what I'm seeing is a very snapshot version. Mm. But just from walking around Stockholm, or maybe what we see in the media, if or in the movies, if they show someone from Sweden, they're always very tall, they look very good, you know, they're, they're blonde like you, and they're uh, in nice jackets. And what I noticed from walking around Stockholm was it looked like everyone bought their clothes that morning. Everyone looked <laughs> fantastic. They, everything was clean, the streets were clean, all of those things. Now I get it, it's a very small little micro version of this. 
But is that part of the problem, that the veneer of this somehow is still selling well or something like that outside of your borders? Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a sort of a Potemkin village, if you know what that yeah, is. There's yeah. a, it's a backdrop, and behind it, well, it reminds me of Hollywood that way. Yeah, uh, you're in the right town. Yeah, yeah. If, you, um, if you look at it in front, it looks good, but if you look behind the curtain, you, but you don't hide your homeless. We would hide them. Yeah. Now we can't afford to hide them anymore. Well, we can't hide them anymore because you're here in California where they're pretty much everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I, have, I have noticed. Yeah. Uh, so, so, no, but I think uh, just like not speaking out against things you might see as wrong or uh, incorrect, uh, it is very important that everything looks good if you are to have uh, a culture of silence and a, a quasi-socialist state. How are you guys able to gauge how much effect you're actually having on the average Swede? I'd say, judging by the reactions we're getting from our enemies, uh, <laughs> things are going very well. Yeah. Uh, they get very upset, you know. Funnily enough, like the extreme left people, they usually do not touch me. It is the social liberals who are, you know, supposed to be like center-right. Can, can you explain a little bit how, what the differentiation there is for an American perspective? Because I think Americans hear that, the social liberals and the far left, that sounds sort of like the same thing. Of course, yeah. yes. Liberal here means a lefty, whereas in, in Europe the word liberal is moving that direction in Europe as well, uh, but it still means more like the classical Austrian liberalism. Yeah. Of, uh, I'm know. a European liberal. Yeah. Right, yes. something like that. Yeah. Perfect, yeah, me yeah. too. That's I, I would use the word, you know, fiscally conservative, but socially liberal to, yeah. to de describe myself. Yeah. Um, so that's where most of the attacks are coming from on my end, you know, from journalists, you know, people of platform, establishment media platforms, they will be very upset and they will find a single word that they don't like in a sentence, pull it out and start a tweet storm, of, you know. They will tell you things like, well, you're dangerous, you're a populistic, alarmist, um, uh, you're not taking responsibility for what kind of people you take on your, to your show. And you know, going back to this thing with a canary in the coal mine, this is the thing, because all, what all of these people have been doing is working so very, very hard at guiding the population to the correct moral standpoint at the end of whatever they produce. And well, you don't do that. You bring somebody else on the show and say, okay, this is a completely different perspective and I'm not going to attack you. I, I don't want to fight you. I want to explore your idea and just see what I make of it. They hate it. They do not want it. All in all, over $218 billion of food goes to waste in this country every year, including 20 billion pounds of produce. That's what Imperfect Foods is here to change. I placed my first order last week, and while the food isn't the most beautiful, it cooks just as easily and tastes just as good. Imperfect Foods is the only food delivery service that buys the perfectly nutritious and delicious foods grocery stores won't sell and delivers them to you for up to 30% less than grocery stores so you can save money and help reduce food waste. Read about Imperfect Foods in the New York Times or ask more than 200,000 satisfied customers. So start saving time, saving money, and saving waste right now because when you go to imperfectfoods.com slash Report now through February 16th, you'll get $10 off your next four orders. That's a total of $40 off. Just go to imperfectfoods.com slash Report to get $10 off your next four orders orders, imperfectfoods.com slash Rubin Report, and enter Rubin Report at checkout. 
Yeah. Is there anyone politically that is echoing some of your sentiments about what's happening in Sweden? Well, Hanif Bali does uh, the job from time to time when it, his party doesn't try to rein him in. Which party is he part of? He's part of the moderate party. Which, which uh, is right wing. That, that would be, by American standards, that would be like... Ultra-leftists. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, like, what type of policies would they have? Just because just I'm trying to get the map. Uh, lower the taxes, more personal responsibility and individual choice. They're trying to get it in there. But so he'd basically be a conservative or libertarian. Light, light version of the conservative. Like yeah, yeah. I socially think they call themselves liberal conservatives. Liberal conservatives. Yes. That, that sort of, made, that yeah, sort of yeah. jives with me, I suppose. Mm. So I told you guys that when I was in Stockholm for the two shows with Jordan Peterson and I, I saw you there, um, that they really stuck out. Well, first off, I was ex I was particularly excited about them because I knew that this small country was my fifth most watched country, and I was like, "What the hell's going on here?" So I sort of, and Jordan also knew that a huge percentage of his viewership was from there. So we both sort of had that date, that first Stockholm date, in our minds as something special is happening. The shows were incredible. The first show sold out literally in a minute, which is why we added the second show. The audiences were, were phenomenal. Correct me if I'm you were no, so they, or they, you, you they were, were so popular, there was a black market trading in tickets to your shows. I would like to say that it was Jordan that was very popular, <laughs> so just for the record. But um, the, the thing that, that truly struck me was that after the show, we would do our meet and greets, and Jordan would meet with hundreds of people. Mine, we would just quickly sell them basically right before the show, so I'd usually get you know 30 or 40 people because we have to do it very quick. But at the, at the two Stockholm shows, we had about 80 or 100 people. We jammed all of these people into a small room. We're sitting there, and it felt like something memorable to me. It felt like everyone in that they room. They had prepared questions e for you. Everyone Not Jordan, that, they had prepared for you. Everyone in that room had something written down or something on their phone or something they wanted to hand to me or a book yeah. that I should read or a story or something. And it was, it was so moving to me mm. that I think I said to you, is, is there a bar around here we can go to? And we took everybody and we went to a bar and we hung out for hours and I met some Until of, they closed. Met, until they closed, they kicked yeah. us out. And I met some of the Swedish intellectuals that you guys hang out with and yeah. all these people. Anyway, I'm not even asking a question here. Suffice to say that it was so obvious to me that, that something is well, going on there. You it was, could it was truly a, a, apart moving. from having like an, a disproportionate amount of viewers for such a small country of your show uh, and Jordan's uh, videos, uh, well, you caused quite a splash. Oh, <laughs> can you? Our minister, our foreign minister of foreign affairs, yeah. uh, went out publicly and said Jordan Peterson is a bug and should crawl back. Uh, under the rock he came from. Yes, which I was able to quote her at the beginning of the show and it got quite a laugh. Every, everyone basically screamed the end of the joke before I, before I said it. Well, yes, she, she just retired, thank God. But, you can't uh, buy PR like that. Yeah, but what do you make of that sort of thing? So when you, when you know the ideas that Jordan said. But, forth, but yeah. so, so let me just explain. Our Minister of Foreign Affairs, she goes to Iran. Yeah. She goes to all these places and, and does business as one should with dictators or whatever or not. Yeah. Uh, um, so she meets truly horrible people in, in, the, in her work. Yeah. You uh, mean even worse than Jordan Peterson? And, and that's what's so funny. <laughs> I mean, this is just a Canadian professor of psychology who tells people to make their beds in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she's never voiced anything negative about the Iranian regime or, yeah, so it's, uh, it's quite... Uh, 
You know, it's funny, it, it, or not funny, it's, I suppose, depressing at a certain level that she said that after our first show. So then I think we had a day or two away. I think maybe we were in yeah. uh, Copenhagen or somewhere else. And I remember thinking when we were coming back that, you know, we're going through security again, we're going through uh, the border again. And I remember thinking, you know, we just saw this story. I think we saw it on the plane, what the, what the foreign minister said. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why wouldn't they stop us at the border or harass him or whatever else? Now, they didn't. But that sort of thing, it's like we can sort of joke about it now and it sounds so ridiculous, but there is another human element to it that, that is But you, you came in and just coming in is breaking a culture of silence. So they have to do something. They have to tell their listeners, don't listen to these guys. Mm. Uh, they are here to destroy us, you know. Yeah. And and, I mean, the story you're telling about how all these people had written down questions for you, to me, that's actually, it's so... It's a beautiful thing that it almost brings tears to my eyes. No, it, it literally almost brought tears to my eyes that night. Be because, you know, I get all these emails from, like, young guys who want to, you know, begin exploring their lives, and they, they are thirsty for, you know, an open discussion. And the fact that Margot Wallström, the, you know, the minister that yeah. told Jordan to, to crawl under a rock, that is, like, the perfect example of the culture of silence that we have. Because the fact that... He just showed up in Sweden. You know, they had to make a stand that this is what this man is saying. It's not part of the narrative that we want here. Yes. Can you talk about how this is related to sort of how men are treated or at least talked about in Sweden? Because you guys have the first supposedly self-proclaimed feminist government, right? That's, yes. That's mm. what, you're, even though they're... As you could tell, when they visited Iran, they all wore <laughs> niqabs. So <laughs> very feminist indeed. Yeah, very feminist uh, indeed. Um, but, but the reason I mention that is because, uh, I, I, as I said earlier, I did both of your podcasts, which we'll link to below because I want people to see you guys as hosts. But I mentioned the story to both of you. Uh, of how the day of the Stockholm show, it was, it was cold out and I wanted to get a hat and I went into H&M, which is your, is that your greatest, well H&M. It's like Gap here. Yes. Are your greatest yeah. exports. Um, and I went into H&M and I was online to buy the hat and I, the guy in front of me, young guy, probably 20, 21 years old, says to the cashier, uh, this is the first suit I've ever bought. Uh, he was speaking in English, so the first suit I've ever bought and, uh, and I'm going to see this Jordan Peterson show tonight. And then the cashier says, I'm going to see the Jordan Peterson show tonight. So I tapped the guy on the shoulder. I turned around and said, I'm going to see the Jordan Peterson show. And he knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was such an incredible moment, mm -hmm. like this young kid who literally was buying the first suit of his life to, as you just said, listen to a Canadian psychology professor tell him to sit up straight with his shoulders back. So can you talk a little bit about what's happening with either young people or men or both or some well, well, combination of that? we've had, uh, there's a problem with language because what I think they're trying to do in Sweden, have been trying for my entire life, is they're trying to accomplish gender equity. And that's not the same thing as equality of the sexes, mm -hmm. right? Because you guys have equality of the sexes. In many senses, right? Well, that depends on what you mean with equality. Yes, well, I mean, have, men, the, and, men and women have the same opportunities. Yeah. In some cases, women even have more opportunities economically when it comes to subsidies for being pregnant, for instance, or taking the results maternity of the free, leave. The results of the free choices that women make are, though, considered a problem. Because yes. Right, so this is, the, this is the interesting... Wait, but just to be clear, though, because uh, what part of what I said did not... No, 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 but it's, it's, uh, when, when, you, uh, when you go for gender equity, what you want is, well, you want the facade, right? You want 50-50%. 
50% yeah. here and 50% there, men and women. It doesn't matter if they're competent, if they want to work there. And we have government bodies regulating this and trying to, uh, and, and we do this from kindergarten and upwards. We, we uh, encourage the girls to take up more space and uh, be less like girls. And we encourage the boys to, you know, close inwards and not take up as much space. To So basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to make these kids go against uh, their biology or whatever they feel is right uh, because they want it to look perfect. So to be clear, it's not just... And equal or equitous. Right. It's not just, um, you know, you should act this way, but it ends up working into how what jobs they choose because uh, Jordan mentioned this several times there and, and a lot of people talk about this, that you, because you guys have had equality mm. for so long, meaning you could do whatever you want as a man or a woman, it turned out that yes, women ha tend to be nurses more and men turn out to be engineers more because women generally are more interested in people and men happen to be more interested in things. That's just the nature of reality. But the gender think, parallels. I think this is what you were getting to. The social justice warriors don't like that experiment. They don't like the experiment of freedom. Hey, Ruben Report podcast listeners, just a quick reminder that my first book, Don't Burn This Book, Free Thinking in an Age of Unreason, is now available for pre-order. In it, I show you guys how to navigate a world of outrage mobs, political polarization, and online censorship without totally losing your mind. Oh, and that Jordan Peterson guy is writing the forward, not bad. Pre-order your copy now on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or go to don'tburnthisbook.com and order yours today. Jordan was on a talk show host in Sweden, on a talk show in Sweden, where he was addressing this very topic, and he basically said, "Well, you know, science supports that this is the way it happens in a free country where, where people can choose." And we had like one of the top-level politicians there, and she was, "Well, I don't agree with that." And you know, I was just flat. I, I actually made a, a, you know an episode on my show about that because like this man just said society, science says this. I don't agree with it. Yeah. Okay, so what? What are we now, mystics? So what you're saying, well, yeah. we are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but so that thing though. So the the politician says that I don't agree mm. with it. I don't agree with what science says. I don't agree with what biology says. We mm. all know that men or women are different. It doesn't make either sex better than the other. It no. just it's just an is. Uh, but when you hear that response, you think most people just swallow that and take it. Through. I think most people do that because we're a fiercely egalitarian, very conformist people. So they are, have been trained for very long to just accept that form of communication. Now we have, a, you know, a government body, the Ministry of Equality, and I mean, just the name sounds like so totalitarian. I can't, you know, it's 1984, like 1984. Totally, and. They have the authority to look at like all companies and other governmental bodies to, to achieve the schools, 50, 50. universities, everything. Mm. Everything has to be gender mainstreamed, and it's all run by women. There are only women working at the. So right. So when you do this, then as a private businessman, how mm. how does that affect you? You know, funny thing is, like when I when my YouTube channel started taking off, my business partner he was like okay, what's happening, what's going on? This might actually hurt our business interests. Uh, and I said, well, you know, if we start seeing some, some, you know, disasters happening because of what I'm saying online, we'll have a conversation and say, okay, so we, we tried it for a while. Turns out business is booming wow. because now people are, they're, you know, finding me just because they see my videos and I want to work with your company. Mm -hmm. So even though we have all these enemies now, those are people I wouldn't want to work with anyway. Right. But what about on the hiring side though? I mean, when you're actually 
hiring people, do mm. you have to look at that those immutable characteristics to figure out who you're going to hire? Well, I don't handle the recruiting anymore personally, so yeah. I'm, I've kind of removed myself, my face from that a bit. Um, I don't think it's much of a problem because Sweden has a general problem when it comes to recruiting talented people. We don't have enough of them. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that are going, you know, on subsidies and various government programs, loads. But I mean, IT recruiting, you know, very smart IT professionals. That's that's generally very difficult. Although I find I have quite a few of them, you know, these software guys that are quite libertarian. So no, I don't see it as a great problem. The, you know the. Here's another you know, thing I'd like to mention. You're not allowed to ask people anything you want when you hire them in Sweden. So when I first started out with my company, I would ask people, so are, are you in any unions? Because I don't want any unionized people in my companies. And then my HR eventually, you gotta stop saying that, Henrik, it's illegal. You cannot ask them if they're unionized. Um, so now we've, we have a text in when we recruit, which is kind of like, are you a very collectivistically minded person? This might not be the place for you. Yeah, jeez. I mean, this is happening everywhere now, so nothing, yeah. nothing no, but sort it, of it, it, I yeah. think it does hurt kids, because if you raise an entire generations of girls telling them that they are beautiful and weak and strong at the same time and can do no wrong, well, you're turning them into sexist fascists, basically. Mm -hmm. And you're telling all the boys that they are inherently evil. That's, and, and we've been doing this for a long time now. So is that the part that's particularly perverse about this? So you take a society, you make them equal, then at the same time, because you know that humans are gonna have individual emotions, you keep, you keep telling the, the males that they're evil, despite the fact that you in Sweden have done more for equality than virtually anybody. So it's, it's really like it's just never enough because actually, as you guys know, what they, don't, what they want is not really equality. It's no, no. conformity is what yes. they want. Convert, yeah. And I, I've been trying to tell them that uh, this would be as if someone came out as gay and you told them, no, suppress that. Right? Because that's what you're telling the boys. Like, oh, you feel the need to run around and play football. Suppress it. Mm -hmm. And, and you're telling ball. the girls, like, yeah. you're playing with dolls. Bad girl, go out and play football. Now, before the haters get in here and say, oh, Aaron Flam doesn't want boys to play with Barbies, you actually are perfectly okay. If they I never shoot. played football. I, I was not <laughs> you, the type. Uh, you have a huge Barbie collection. <laughs> 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 well, uh, Which for a man of your age is a bit much now. <laughs> uh, I, I was into He-Man and yeah. Star Wars uh, figurines, uh, or fig uh, action figures. Action figures. Yes, you, you call them that to make yeah, them yeah. sound more manly, but they're I'll, basically I'll, dolls. I'll show you my collection yeah. when, when we're out of here. Um, all right, let's shift a little bit because you mentioned actually that you uh, lived in, I believe you're moving, yes. if I can say that, um, yes. in Malmo. Now we hear a lot about Malmo on a certain side of the internet uh, where they report on a lot of bombings and stabbings and all these weird things coming out of Malmo. Now we only hear of this from sort of right, what I would say are not just center right, but more right leaning things, mm. outlets in America. And then anyone that reports on them says that they're racist and they're bigoted and the rest of it. You live in Malmo, what, what happened in Malmo? And just tell me a little bit about the history of Malmo before anything else. Malmo, it's in the deep south of Sweden. Um, uh, so it's a port city. And uh, this is where basically everyone that's coming to Sweden, you know, by foot or by car, they will enter across a bridge and they come into Malmo. So we have a very large uh, number of, you know, refugees and so forth from the, you know, crisis of 2015. 
And Malmo is is always been a rather poor city. You know, it used to, they used to big big ships there, and in the 1980s that all collapsed, and everyone was an alcoholic for a while, and it kind of came slightly better. But it's it's a loss making city, and it's it's been run by socialists for you know better part of the last hundred years. Now, over time, crime in Malmo started to rise uncontrollably, and again. Coming back to the same topic all the time, you know, this concept of being quiet about what is happening because it's considered rude to mention the fact that, well, we might have a, you know, a, a drug war going on in this city and that's what we have right now. So people are working very hard at putting out different kind of representations, statistical representations saying everything is fine, but you know, it's getting harder and harder for them to do that because everyone knows that we did not used to have like weekly bomb bombs going off in the city center, for one thing. And if I can, I'd like to sort of tie this back to a personal experience. You mentioned that time that I was burglarized. And what's really interesting about that story is not so much the fact that I was burglarized, but rather the reaction I got from the media when I wrote about this. In and the from the police, yeah. when you asked them, what can I do about this? Yeah. So, so please, go on. This is an incredible story. Please, yeah. please I'll, I'll just make it really short, you know. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that the Ruben Report community is officially here. This is the first project of my new tech company, Locals.com, and you can get ad-free video, ad-free audio podcast. You can communicate with me, you can communicate with other fans. We've got a news feed that has no algorithmic manipulation. There's no shadow banning or de-boosting or the rest of it. We're gonna be building out these communities for all sorts of creators over the next coming months. But right now you can sign up at rubenreport.com or you can download the Ruben Report app in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, somebody's trying to break into our house. I carry my, you know, my, my twin girls upstairs arm myself with a hammer because I didn't have a gun at home. Hammer, I'm on the phone with the police, they're trying to you know, force entry through our front door and the police is saying, be quiet, don't make your presence known, we'll be there shortly. Then my neighbor comes home, we have a shared walkway, he scared them off by turning on the light, so they, they got away. 30 minutes later, I'm, give, I'm giving my testimony, mm-hmm. statement, mm-hmm. Yes. To, to the police sitting in my kitchen. And I ask him at the end of the interview, it's like, so what can I do to protect myself and my family from this ever happening again. And literally, he does this. Seriously, don't live in this city. It is out of control, we cannot control it. This was in 2007, you know. That year, I think, I believe I paid about 12 million in taxes. And I live in a very, you know, fashionable part of town as I expect. A I've better been to his answer. penthouse, it's very nice. Yeah. I, yes. That's where I interviewed you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I expect a better answer by the police than them telling me to leave. So I wrote an editorial about this in you know, Sweden's largest uh, conservative newspaper and told the story about the, basically what the policeman told me, which I, I thought that this is the really shocking part. You yeah. know? The reaction by the local newspaper in Malmo was they didn't speak to me. They spoke to the paper that took my editorial and said, this is completely unacceptable. Uh, what poor taste and journalistic uh, unprofessionalism that you should publish an alarmist, populistic text like this, which is drawing the attention from the people in need. This is a, this is a wealthy capitalist. Uh, he, he's uh, spoiled and you should not listen to this alarmism. And that really shocked me because I had journalists attacking me on Facebook. Why do you write that? Why do you 
why do you put a text like that out there? Yeah. So, and this was just when I was starting my YouTube channel. So this, and then you got called racist and the rest of it, right? Racist, the, fascist, bigoted, right wing nut job. You know, they didn't. They had st started using the word whore. Yeah, But so all this yeah. being said, you stayed in Malmo for two years, basically. Well, he's not Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the, well, I, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you stayed. Yeah, we stayed then the crime situation has escalated. So when we finally, the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, th this summer, and I made a video about this, it was so tragic, um, because these drug cartels who are basically fighting it out in, in Malmo, they, they shot a young mother in the head while she was carrying, and I can hardly speak about this because it really upsets me, to be honest. They shot her dead in the head while she was carrying her newborn baby because she was affiliated with one of the drug gangs. And there was a trial thing going on. This was nine o'clock in the morning on a public street in one of the most affluent neighborhoods in, in the city. And it just, it really broke me. And I said, I am not raising my children in this city. So, so now we're looking for a house outside so, the city. So you're on your way out. Um... As the representative of all Jewish people in Sweden, please, they wouldn't like that at all. Uh, <laughs> I bet you. I bet you secretly they would. Maybe they wouldn't want. Uh, Who knows? Uh, their uh, neighbors to know. But but there's only what about seven thousand Jews left in Sweden? Is that right? Maybe eight. I don't know. It's it's it fluctuates nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but can but, you sort of explain what's happening? But uh, Malmo used to have a vibrant Jewish community of around three thousand Jews best for Jew, for yeah. for a hundred years, and um, by now there's probably maybe 300 Jews left. Okay. They've all left uh, Malmö in the last few years. They go either to Stockholm if they're young, uh, or if they can, to America or Canada or Israel. Yeah. Uh, so they've evacuated the city pretty much. And uh, it has gone so far that two private individuals donated 40 million of their own money to the Jewish congregation mm. so that they can manage security for the 300 individuals left Jesus. just for the coming 10 years. And one of them was Don Olofsson, right? That you have interviewed. He, he was on my show and I know. are hoping to get him on your show as well. Yes, but we will talk about different subjects. You yeah. talked about entrepreneurship and yeah. I will talk about... Oh, he's a massive entrepreneur. Yeah, he's yeah, a super he's, talented guy. Yeah, well, yeah. you'd have to be to donate 20 million of, yeah, out of your own okay. pocket for, yeah. to, to found, find, found Sweden's first private militia, which is basically what it will become. Can, can you explain sort of, so you were talking about kind of gang violence and that mm. sort of thing. But can you explain how that's sort of related to why Jews would be getting out specifically? Absolutely. Because now we're seeing this sort of it's all not over a, Europe. And no problem at all. So we've had a huge influx of uh, immigration from uh, poor Middle Eastern and North African countries, where state anti-Semitism is part of everyday life growing up. So they come to us uh, and they're still anti-Semites. And the socialists of Sweden, being on Hitler's side until the end of the World War and never dealing with that, have been, you know, it's a low simmering sort of uh, thing that they've never dealt with. And uh, they have an alliance and uh, they don't care if the Jews are uh, uh, forced out of the city. That's uh, just, I, yeah. We, we need to mention that the government, of, well, the Social Democrats who've been ruling for a long time, they are actively siding with Palestine in, you know, in the Middle Eastern question. Yep. And, you know, the historical, this goes way back, but it's got something to do with Israel being in cahoots with America and America is the great Satan. Um, so then, because if you're a socialist, being oppressed is a currency, yep. the, the Palestinians are the more oppressed, so they side with them. But we have, you know, 
the youth organization of the Social Democratic Party, and I'll send you a video of this, you can see it for yourself. Uh, when they demonstrate, like on the 1st of May, they have a sort of a socialist holiday where they celebrate, I don't know, whatever socialists celebrate. Uh, Potato Day? What do they, what do socialists celebrate? Uh, no, 1st uh, no, of May is International Workers' Day. They celebrate, celebrate being poor, I suppose. Now they will hate me more. Yeah, oh, they, oh, okay. they sang. And this is on video. And last time they, you know, the demonstration they walked through the city. They always sing that song. It just got caught on tape. Lehepe, lehepe, lebe Palestina, lebe Palestina, okrosasionismen. I think you can pick out a couple of words right there. It means yeah. celebrate, celebrate, celebrate Palestine and crush Zionism. Yeah. And, and this is this is the socialist youth organization people. Yeah. These are middle class Swedish people. Yeah. And to me that's an outrage. It's an outrage. They never speak about this. No, and, and the, the former strongman of Malmö, the social democratic leader Ilmar Repalu, he had, I mean, anti-Semitism, he, he has been accused of being an anti-Semite for decades now. But he always denied it. And by now they can't deny it because there, is no, there are no Jews left. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you guys explain a little bit about how the uh, immigration issue arose that basically this all started just in the last really seven years, something like that, that uh, a pretty much homogenous society, for better or worse, decided, I think, but correct me if I'm wrong, I think probably with good intentions by people that weren't thinking that much, to bring in a ton of people. How, how many immigrants, roughly, have come in over the last well, half decade or so? You can take this one, I o think. Over, if you take it over a decade, um, the numbers are always changing because they're playing around with them. So it, it depends on how you kind of calculate it. But it is, it is a bit over a million people. So, okay, so roughly a tenth of the population yeah. came in, let's say, in the last decade from these countries. Um, what do you think the leaders thought exactly was going to happen? The, 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 let's say well-intentioned. But do you think maybe I'm giving them too no, much credit? No, no let's, let's do the well-intentioned, because I like to give people the benefit of the yeah, doubt. Yeah. I think they were hoping for uh, a multicultural nirvana with, you know, kebabs, at, you know, and some belly dancing. Yeah. Yeah. And that everyone else... And a lot of smoked fish. You guys are killing it in the smoked <laughs> fish game, by the way. We, we, we do yeah, have yeah. some delicious that, out of that. That is true. Yeah. But other than that, I think the idea is, if you live in a culture that is so homogenous, as Sweden is, you cannot think outside the box of our own culture. They don't even perceive that we have a culture. They probably believe they will become Swedes very quickly when they realize how right and good we are. Yes, mm. they will become... Turns out, didn't happen. Oh. Yeah, so if we were not to give them the benefit of the doubt, because I, I also, I try not to go to people's motives, and I think the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I think a lot of these people think they're doing the right thing, but, if, mm. but let's go to the non good motive part. And you're like, <laughs> I think you just wrote a book about it. Yes. I mean, what, what do so, you think these people thought they were doing or what do you think they thought was going to happen? Just when you change demographics that much, a tenth of a population is a huge, huge, huge amount. Well, I think they wanted to... Imp so the Social Democrat came into power. Uh, they actually lifted up the working class to a, a, a much better living standard and the idea was as soon as we get them up to middle class living standards they will become true communists and understand that they need to devote everything to the struggle. What happened in reality was that they were perfectly fine with their flat screen TVs. They wanted more flat screen TVs and longer vacation time. They didn't want to join a communist revolution. They became in essence 
uh, well, our equivalent of Republicans, I suppose. So they needed new voters, in a sense. And they invoted, uh, and then they took in a lot of people into the most overregulated labor market in the world. And these people, second generation and third generation immigrants, they're not getting into the system, they're keeping them uh, uh, for the ballots, they want their votes and they, and they keep them on subsidies. And some of these kids, they see that the system is rigged against them and uh, they have no choice. They will, be of course they will become gangsters or go off and fight for ISIS after a while. I not all of them, obviously. Yeah. I think it's important at this point to remember that the people that came in, you know, those individuals, it's not their fault inherently. Yeah. Yeah. You know. They were invited. The, the, well, that's is, why you know, I asked about the intentions and uh, good or bad of the people that brought them in, not these people specifically. No, I, I like to think, you know, crowds always go crazy, <clears throat> um, but individuals are much more reasonable, you know, and somebody is, you know, fleeing a war. You know, I have the deepest sympathy. Yes, of course, I would do the same thing. But it is irresponsible if you have a so regulated labor market and you, you take in more people than you can help. It, that is like you're throwing a party that goes haywire on Facebook. Everyone's invited. I, I, but you, you know, I have drinks for 12 people. What, what, what did they think the people were going to do? Like, what kind of jobs did they think people were going to have? Or did they immediately say, you're taken care of for a year? You know, we hear these stories out of well, Germany. Well, the government and... wanted to start a camel farm in Gothenburg. Well, that was one, of a, one experiment for yeah. some. And that's a, yeah, that was crazy. Um, that actually and like sort of racist. And sort of racist. Yeah. Uh, but no, we can't give you a proper job, but we'll give you some subsidies. Start a camel farm. You should yeah. be good at that. And right. also, we have plenty of camels in Sweden. No, we don't. We so, have reindeer. So truly, the people come in, and as you said, they're often fleeing war. You have sympathies with all these people. The government then says, here's some stuff. But you can't have you, it forever, although they sort of do have it forever, but not yeah. just that you can't have it forever. It's a limited amount of stuff, right? You, we can't put you... And then... then they can turn around and say, see, we're also racist because we didn't make you millionaires in night one. And, and the rest exactly. Uh, yeah. They get a flat. They get a, a minimum uh, uh, living subsidy. subsidy. Uh, but, and then uh, they are expected to vote left. And that is what it looks like if you break down the statistics of mu <clears throat> different municipalities and, and how they vote. I mean, in Rosengård in Malmö, it was like eight, uh, 70 to 90 percent voted for the Social Democrat or the left. Yes, yes. yes. I mean, they're, they're, you know, we have the numbers for all of that. But what, what's happened is, tragically, we have created a tremendous segregation. Yeah. Well, we, a new underclass, if you will, uh, an immigrant underclass, which Sweden never had. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to deal with it. And we're also running out of money because we have the most expensive welfare system in the world. And now we're trying to deal with it. it. Nobody knows what to do. This is a, a sort of dangerous question in a way, but I think these conversations always end up here, which is, do you think in a weird way this then breeds racism? Yes. That, that good-intentioned people, right? You, I mean, you just made it very clear. You have no ill will towards these people. But then these people come into these countries, they're given these things, they demand more, the politicians use them for votes, and then good people who are not racist but maybe don't have a lot of time to think about all these things, suddenly start becoming kind of racist. It's just, it's just a sad fact of humanity. Absolutely, and I think it goes both ways. I think uh, the Swedes wanted to invite uh, poor people from the third world to come and live in Sweden because they wanted to feel good themselves, but uh, uh, also they thought everyone would want to become Swedish, of course. But then they get a lot of immigrants, and the immigrants look at the Swedish society, and they're like, mm, maybe I'm, I'm going to keep some of my own culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I, I don't think this is so great. And if you were to sort of... And also, if you keep them out of the system and you never let them in and you stick them in ghettos, uh, of course they will start to hate you. And there's a weird thing that I think Europe has that America doesn't have, which is that if you were to assimilate them more, sort of push more of a Swedish culture on them, that would be against Swedish nature in a bizarre way. Where America, we have a melting pot here, so mm. come here with all of your traditions and all of those things, but mix into the fabric of America where Europe has more of a, a ghettoization of culture. This, I think the reason America can, can do this better is because your country is founded on the principle of individuality and individuals, whereas Sweden is founded on the idea of collectivism. And that makes it really hard to break the molds. Now, I have a good friend who's he's work, he's doing a lot of work with <clears throat> newly arrived uh, Afghan boys. And like the top question, this is Mustafa Panjshiri. The, the, the question he is most often asked by these guys is like, how do I make Swedish friends? I don't know. They never open up. I'm never in touch with them. And at the same time, I mean, this is like, again, bringing tears to my eyes. They want to work. They want to break into becoming useful. Uh, at the same time, Swedes will be telling, oh, no, how, how you should behave. No, I couldn't possibly tell you. Just be, yeah. your, be yourself. Yes. And like, they give nothing away because they don't understand being so collectivist. Like, we have a very closed, very complicated culture. And if we want to invite people into our culture, we need to start, you know, you, here we do it this way. This is, you know, but that is considered um, almost racist, certainly socially aggressive to tell people that, well, this is how we do things around here. Yeah. We take off our shoes before we come, in, come into someone's home. That is quite unique. Yeah. yeah, it's us and the Japanese, although we're more sloppy than the Japanese, <laughs> I think. Uh, uh, and because of the but, but there are all these unwritten rules. Of course there are, but for the longest time, Swedes deny that because it would be racist to admit we had our own culture. Can you guys talk a little <laughs> bit about how, how you differentiate from some of the other Nordic countries? Because as I said, we always point to the Nordic countries, but Sweden is the one that we really focus on. Um, but it sounds, from what I could tell, and I did visit Denmark, and I visited Finland, and uh, at a couple other places, um, Denmark doesn't seem to have the problems as much as... Well, they did up until they had those cartoonist scandals, and then they sort of understood what it was all about. If you can't criticize Mohammed, that's basically blasphemy laws, and no modern Western state would stand for that. Uh, I've had I, Fleming Rosan, who obviously you know is the, uh, yes, the yeah, publisher of the cartoons, yeah. mm. and I mean, what, what an absolute brave person, and someone who is you know now has to live unfortunately with a lifetime of security, mm. who the idea that this is a racist or a bigot is so patently absurd. Yes, it, it, it was a Muslim. Uh, author who was trying to find a cartoonist that sparked the whole idea in the first place. Yeah, I know. That he was trying to help. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. But I also think culturally over hundreds of years, Sweden and Denmark, they've fought for supremacy in Scandinavia, and they sort of culturally define themselves in opposition to each other. So Danes are more, they're closer to the continent, they're more vivacious, they like to call a shovel a shovel. Actually, in Danish, it's a spade a spade, but that would be wrong here, I think. Um, so, uh, and Sweden is completely the opposite. Don't, don't rock the boat. Well, you know, if you look at, look at this from a historical perspective, I think it's, it's fair to say that Sweden was uh, the Nordic superpower in the 1600s. Yes. Uh, we'd basically taken over the rest of the Scandinavian countries. And then we kind of gradually lost control of that. Uh, we gave Norway independence and Denmark broke off. Um, 
but the languages and the culture is fairly similar. But Sweden's attitude has though remained as the stuck-up big brother that always knows best. I mean, we are a very arrogant culture, if I can say so myself. I think it's it's pretty clear that the Danes, for instance, they think we're stuck up and we're just playing wrong. And now that we are, you know, we've gone a bad way. No, it's by so, now we're proven it, wrong. It, yeah, yeah. Right, right. it is so embarrassing to admit it. So now it's like you know a situation where no, I have to maintain maintain that I'm doing it this way because it's too embarrassing to come out to say, okay, that was a big mistake. I'm sorry. You know, the Danes are putting up border controls against Sweden now because yeah, we us. don't want your problems with bombs you have in Malmo to be exported into Copenhagen. Right, but if you talk about those problems, exactly, it's no. still a lot of trouble. No, you know, the response when, when, you know, Denmark did that, the response was from Swedish politicians was like, oh, this is completely alarmist, but we, we welcome the Danes to do what they, what they please. So they were just saving face. Yeah. But it's, I mean, for Sweden, which is one of the like, most advanced IT service countries in the world, mm -hmm. to have to deal with the fact that people are saying, we have to have border controls to you guys because there's so much craziness spilling into our country. I, this analogy of that you mentioned of sort of a Hollywood facade on all this, as I said, it looks too good on the outside, I really do think is part of the problem. It uh, looks too good from the outside. Everyone looks too good and, and everyone's clothes look too neat and new and pressed and great and everyone looks sort of too healthy. And I guess that's not in every <laughs> city, but it's at least what's exported. Well, we had foraging eugenics, eugenic yeah. programs that took uh, care of that. That's probably a whole other that, show. That's when you get guys like this. Yeah. Look at the perfection. <laughs> Um, is there anything else that we didn't hit on sort of in the real sort of meat of all of this? Ha, has, has it been an hour it's already? It's basically been an mm. hour, yeah. I'm sorry, it's because he talks all the it's time. It's a lot of talk. But I've been here yeah. before, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, we're fine for now, aren't we? Yeah. Well, or or case, was it anything else you wanted no, I, to I, talk well, about? Huh? I was asking you guys because... No, I think it was great. This, yes. was, this was as much of a recap of... Well, I guess we should talk a little bit about Ikea. Or some of your other <laughs> We can talk gonna, about, he, he ordered a drink the other night when we were to dinner and they yeah. ma made him put it together himself it as was, revenge it was for all the Irish. Ikea furniture they bought. What, no, you ordered a, what, like an Irish coffee? I something? wanted an Irish coffee for dessert. Yeah. yeah. And it came in parts. Yeah. Yes. You know, I got a cup of coffee and what's in it now? Whiskey uh, or a cognac? Yeah. Uh, Bailey's. Three separate glasses. So I had to build it and, yeah. you know. Well, you could you tell had, the serving staff, they were they were getting even. And we were lacking the cream. Yes. Yeah. So just like in Ikea, you're always, yes. a, you know, wing One missing. Piece. Yeah, yes. yeah, but you did have your Allen wrench with you and you were able to put it together very quickly. <laughs> we, made, we made it work. It was we very made it impressive. Work. I do have a lot of Ikea here. I'll give you a tour of my Ikea. You know, that in LA, we have the world's biggest Ikea. Did you know that? No, I did not. It is in Burbank. Maybe. We may have to go there this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> world's biggest Ikea. If I went with two Swedes and had Swedes... No, they wouldn't walk, give you the royal treatment, trust me. No, 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 no nothing. They'd probably, well, with you two, I'd probably be... We'd be kicked out. We'd yes. be kicked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it has been a pleasure chatting with you guys. You so, know what? Because you are professional podcast YouTube hosts, I'm going to let you guys pimp yourselves out directly to camera. Henrik, right over there. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Well... If you are interested in Europe in general, Sweden specifically, you can check out my channel where I do weekly commentaries on current issues. I do analysis on economic, business, finance, that sort of thing with a European eye on it. I also do stuff to explain this for an English-speaking audience. 
I'm really a businessman, so this is more of a vocation than a profession for me. But I think it would be interesting for me to find an English-speaking audience. What's the name of your YouTube channel? My YouTube channel, if you put in Henrik J, you will find my English-speaking channel. And from there you can kind of find my Swedish one if you want more content. It's all subtitled in English, so you can see it. But then you really have to be a sort of Sweden nerd if you want to go into Swedish interior politics. <laughs> He is a pro, so I really think he is you absolutely. Here. Yeah, yeah, I know. Look into the camera. Aaron oh my Flam. God! My name is Aaron Flam. I'm a Swedish comedian and podcaster. The name of my podcast is Deconstructive Criticism. I have a few episodes in English. I've just finished a book that I wrote and published myself in Sweden uh, about the situation the Western world finds itself in today because of what happened in the past. Uh, there will be an English translation on my webpage AaronFlam.com soon enough. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, uh, I consider us colleagues now uh, we are. In, in the world that we exist in, but more importantly, I consider us friends. We had a great time the other night, and I know this is just the beginning of things that we'll all do together. Yes. Uh, follow these guys on Twitter and on YouTube and all those good places, and get over to Sweden and, and visit them. You'll, you'll take people out. Oh, of yeah. I take good care of my guests, <laughs> don't I? Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody.